folks, it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. In this week's episode, we're going to be going over a couple things that I mentioned on our Facebook page, including the importance of the hands, the elbows, and your alignment when you're drawing a bow and shooting. And why do I get into this subject? Well, like I said in our last episode, I see a lot of people doing the wrong things when I'm at the range. And some of them can be easily corrected. So I figure, well, let's just go do a form episode and see if we can help some people out there who maybe don't even realize what they're doing, but in in turn, when they make these small corrections, can improve their shooting a lot. So we'll just get started on this. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the position of your hands and actually what you're doing with them. Well, why are the hands important? Well, the hands are your contact point on the bow. So if they're not properly aligned, if they're not the right sensitivity, you're going to have problems. Common thing that I see when people are shooting, especially with new shooters, is they tend to grab the bow like a pistol. A bow can't be grabbed like a pistol because if you do, you're going to induce torque. If you induce torque, you're going to miss left or right. And more importantly, if you induce torque the wrong way, you're going to get a string slap, which if you've never had that happen to you, count yourself very fortunate. But most of us at one point or another when we were learning had it happen all the time. So some people say, well, I'll just put on a, you know, an arm guard, so I don't have to worry about that. And there's a big misconception about arm guards. First of all, some people think that the arm guard was designed to protect you from a string slap. It's not. While it does provide protection against a string slap, I find it's been used as a crutch by a lot of people for in exchange for poor form when the arm guard was really designed to keep your clothing out of the way while you're shooting. So if you're wearing like baggy, you know, like a baggy shirt or something like that, and the shirt gets in the way, can interfere with the string as it leaves. The arm guard, much like when you're wearing hunting clothing, you just take that on, you strap it on, it keeps your, your clothes close to your arm. It was really never meant to protect your arm from shooting. Now it does, it has evolved into that lately because some people use that for new people. So they, when they're shooting in proper form, they're going to slap their arm, the arm guard's there, and it'll protect them from it which is okay, I guess, except for the fact that if you put something there that's going to stop them from feeling the repercussion of doing something wrong, then in the end, they won't take it as seriously and probably won't pay as much attention to it. And the day that they forget that arm guard, they're going to wind up hurting themselves pretty bad. So we don't want to see anything like that. So what we tell people is from the beginning, start out shooting the right way with the right hand position. So what I do with new people is when I first start them out, I don't put an arm guard on there. But before they draw that bow, I do tell them this is what your hand position should look like. This is how you, where your elbow should be pointing and make sure that your your stance is proper so that you have a stance that's open enough that's not going to wind up with, resulting in you getting a hand slap. And that works. But occasionally you do get someone who's never done this before and it feels very awkward to them, usually because they come from another sport of some kind and they just can't get with it. And that's fine. We put the arm guard on there. We see them get slapped once. The arm guard will help them from getting slapped again, particularly with younger kids. We, uh, we have them use that on there. But I think you'll find that after the second or third lesson, they never really need it again. Um, and then they just use it for what it's what its purpose was is to hold their clothes in while they're shooting so they don't interfere with the shot. 
So we've got the arm guards out of the way. What exactly do we have to do with our front hands in order to um, help our shot? Well, the first thing that you're going to know is if you shoot it like a pistol, like I said, you're going to induce torque. So with archery, your thumb pad, if you look at your lifeline on your hand, the bow can't cross that lifeline. If it does, it's going to encourage the hand to collapse around the bow, which is going to cause the torque. So what do you do? Well, you put your hand up, and John Dudley explains it probably the best, where he says, just put your hand up like you're telling somebody to stop. And when you put your hand up like that, place your bow right in there along your thumb pad, and then just lay your hand down on the riser. Now, this part is very, very important. Lay your hand on the riser. Do not attempt to hold the bow in the webbing between your thumb and your index finger. Because then you're going to have basically a swivel up there. You're not going to have any kind of control. So you lay your, you lay your thumb pad onto the, onto the bow's riser. And you have to make sure that I usually tell people the, only the index finger should be touching the riser. The other finger should be curled up. And the knuckle should be at a 45 degree. When it's like that, you have optimum clearance. But like everything else, things are connected. So I also mentioned to them, look at your arm. If your elbow is pointing straight down, then your forearm is in the path of the string in most cases. And if that's the case, you're going to get a burn when that bow goes off. And it's important to correct this early because if you don't, what's going to happen is you're going to create conditioning on the shot. What does that mean? If you condition someone to do something, they're going to have a subconscious reaction to it even before it happens, I'll give you an example. When I'm teaching someone like how a, a mental shot goes off, one of the examples I use is something that Joel Turner teaches, and I'll say, okay, here, put your hands out, and then I'll put my hands right under them, and I'll go and I'll slap their hands on top, and then we'll do it again, and I'll slap them again, like kind of fast. Then I'll go like this, and I'll do it again, but this time I won't even move. But the minute they see me look at their hands, they pull them away. It's called a conditioned response. So if you're scared of getting slapped all the time, subconsciously you're going to do whatever it takes to avoid that happening. So if we teach proper alignment, proper hand grip, and you don't get smacked every single time, there will be no need for that conditioning. And then that saves us a lot. So knuckles at a 45 degree elbow is pointing directly away from you so the elbow if it should be pointed in the direction in back of me not down at a minimum about 45 degrees but if it's pointing directly in back of me you're probably better off and again some people double jointed i find this with a lot of younger younger women and younger girls they may be double jointed it's hard for them to understand that but for those cases then we do adjust their stance a little bit more a little bit more of an open stance when your front foot is further back than the rear foot and we slightly angle them a little bit and it's adjustable for each and every person like i say over and over again no two people are exactly alike therefore when someone's teaching someone they have to have an understanding that no two people are alike and you have to tailor things for each individual so now we've established a hand we've established the arm your shoulder is down why does the shoulder have to be down because if your shoulder is not down in the front and relaxed, what's going to happen is with the shoulder hitched up, now all of a sudden you have no alignment and you're trying to steady that bow and you can't 
because it's got nothing to, to lean against. Remember, the hand is just leading to your arm. Bone-on-bone contacts can go right into your shoulder when it's perfectly aligned. If you're holding it properly, it just becomes a lever. And you're pulling against that lever, and it does all the work. If you try to do it with muscle control to hold it up there, it's very, very difficult. Now, there are some accomplished shooters, professional shooters, who can do that. But they are very few and far between. It's very difficult to maintain consistency doing that. So what I tell people is arm out. doesn't have to be like super hyperextended, just arm out relaxed. And if you put it in the right position, you'll find it all sinks back in and it provides bone-on-bone contact support, which is like sticking a stick out there and your hand happens to be at the end of the stick and it's holding the bow and you're just pulling the bow against that. It's very easy. It lets you shoot. Um much more effectively that way. The other thing is that hand has to be extremely relaxed. I don't know how many times I see it where people are applying the Vulcan death grip to that front hand. If you provide any undue influence at the first contact point, which is your hand, the bow will do something different every single time. And the most important part of all this to remember is if your hand is not relaxed when you go to draw, or if you're afraid of dropping a bow or something like that, because remember, you're putting tension on it from the minute that you hook on your release. Leave the hand relaxed because you're pulling against it. The bow's not going to go anywhere. But there's some people who don't trust that, and they grab the bow really hard. They draw back, and in the process of drawing back, they're gripping that bow, and then when they get to full draw, they relax their hand and they adjust to position. It's something I see with newer shooters. I try to get them out of it. Why is that not good? Because what happens is if you look at the skin on your hand and you just hold your palm to yourself right now, you will see that you can actually grab and pinch the skin on your hand and move it around a little bit. And if you look at it real good, it kind of looks like a rubber band. Well, that's what it does. It acts like a rubber band. So if your hand your hand is tight, it's tense when you grab the bow, all that tension is now skin tension that's holding on to the bow. When you adjust your hand or whatever you're doing, let's just say if you didn't adjust your hand and you still had it tight like that and you come to full draw and you you relax, okay, you've accomplished your relaxation part of it, but what'll happen is that skin tension that was there when you applied your hand to the bow in the first place and began your draw, it's going to let go. It snaps like a rubber band. So what happens is the bow winds up snapping in one direction or the other, and it's completely random. It can snap a little bit, a lot. It'll torque it even though you're not meaning to torque it. So the hand has to be relaxed when you're drawing all through the shot cycle. It has to be relaxed in a minute you touch the bow. And adjusting the hand position is worse because no matter how much you adjust it, yes, you will correct where the hand's supposed to be, but the process of adjusting it will will mean that you've done something different every single time. Again, consistency is going to suffer. So we've established the hand, the bone alignment, Shoulder down. If your shoulder's not down, you're not going to have good alignment. And on top of everything else, if your shoulder's hinged up, you might hold low on the target all the time and wonder why you keep on dropping out of the target. So shoulder down and relaxed, that covers the front hand. Your forearm, it's relaxed because, like I said, you're doing bone-on-bone contact. There's no need to have any muscle tension in the front forearm or, or in the front shoulder at all. you just relaxed there. And like I said, if you're putting bone against bone against bone, it's going to turn into a rod that's holding that bow steady. The other thing is, now we got to talk about the back end of the system. 
like in all machines, the bow is a machine that's going to repeat itself every single time. But the operator is another part of that machine. If part of the machine is not functioning the same way every single time, the machine's not going to function correctly. It'll be random every time it goes off. So the rear end of the machine involves your rear shoulder and your rear hand forearm. Now, whether or not you're using a wrist release or a hand release, the technique is the same. Your rear hand has to be completely in line with the front hand. What do I mean by that? If your rear hand is out of line, you're inducing torque right there. So it has to be directly behind your front hand. So if I I realize that when you draw back, your head's in between your front hand and your rear hand. If I got daylight there, then I'm holding it sideways, which is going to do all kinds of weird things to the shot, no matter what I try. So the hands have to be in line. Let's just start there. One hand directly behind the other, and you're maintaining a straight line. Think of a straight arrow. If you continue the line of that arrow through your head, would it touch your rear hand? If you're doing it properly, it will. Here's a very cell, it's a very often overlooked point that people don't really realize. And I bring it up all the time. Some shops are notorious for doing this. I personally can't stand when I see this sort of thing. And I correct it the second I see it. And it's, it's a five-minute correction, but I don't know why they do it. Maybe it's cost. Uh, it doesn't bother me. I, I just I just don't get it. If you look at somebody's D-loop, okay, most commercial supply companies that sell D-loop material, they'll offer it in, like, hunter colors if you're a hunter or target colors if you're a target archer. And I think you find if you look at the target colors, they're a little bit more what some people call flimsy, compared to the Hunter ones, which are stiff. Those D-loop materials are stiff. And that's a problem. Why? Well, and again, I said we're going to be doing this on hand alignment and all that, but this is very important. If you look at your D-loop and you touch it with your finger and it doesn't want to bend or it maintains its shape, it won't crush down or something like that, it's too stiff. So why does it matter if that's too stiff? And I know some of you are thinking right now, like, what's he talking about? My, my D-loop's stiff as a board. Yeah, here's the problem. A stiff D-loop will result in torquing the bow because you're going to torque your string. So if the D-loop's so stiff, when you grab your release and everyone twists their release to fit against their face, you're twisting the D-loop. A D-loop that is overly stiff will twist the string. And as I'll demonstrate in an upcoming video, and I've said in many podcasts before, at full draw, your string is very, very easy to twist. And if you twist it, you change your angle of impact, and you can possibly derail the bow. So first thing I see, I see a, a, a person come in or that I'm working at the range with, and they've got a really super stiff D-loop, and they're having all kinds of problems with accuracy. I cut that sucker off, and I put one on there, would say a, a much thinner loop material, a more pliable and flexible loop material. Same D-loop length and all that, nothing of that changes. But I think you'll find that their accuracy immediately improves because all that induced torque that they, that they are putting into that D-loop, when the D-loop is softer and can handle it and is not dragging the string with it, will impact their shot a lot less. 
So a more flexible D-loop is all it takes. But when you look at some of these Hunter D-loops that you see out there, made of this camouflage material, it's thick. It's hard as anything. Um, okay, if I wanted to make a handle for something that I needed that can't move, probably be great. But for, for archery, it's no good. And it will cause you problems. Some people go so far with their torquing as I put on a torqueless D-loop or what we call a P-loop. Um, which actually goes under their arrow and lets them torque it in any direction they want. And I have a couple of my girls that, that I train who I start them out with torqueless D-loops as I see how much they torque the bow, and this is the only way to fix it, and it improves their accuracy. You don't see it that much for hunting, though, we used to in, back in the day. We used to tie D-loops under the, um, under the serving knot together, and then the arrow is above it. And believe it or not, that stopped a lot of people from torquing the bow and torquing this string. But since then, they've come out with thinner, yet just as strong materials that allow us to do it the other way and put a D-loop on normally, avoiding the torque. So that's very important. But now we get back to the rear hand. As I said, it needs to be in alignment. And you'll notice that if you hold your hand out and your, hand, your palm is level, or should I say, your palm is facing the floor. If your palm is facing the floor, that's the natural position for your wrist. And that's where it should be. You'll see some people that twist their hand all the way so that their knuckles are against their face. The problem with that is, number one, it's not natural. If it's not natural, you can't put the rest of the system into a relaxed state in order to fit it in. What I mean by that, when you draw back, you lower the real shoulder, and then you pull into, into anchor point putting all the tension into your back muscles because you're holding the bow with your back muscles, not your arm. As I've said 75 times, maybe 100 in one day at the range. But I digress because that's something I'm just going to put on a little tape recorder and play it every single time for students when I'm working with them. You hold the bow with your rear shoulder. You don't hold it with your forearm or your hand. But when your alignment is proper, you're not going to have an issue. If the hand, palm is facing down, even if it's just a little bit angle, you will have more control and be able to relax that rear shoulder as you pull into your shot. When your hand is inverted and you can actually see people with their pinkies touching their face, it becomes a problem because number one, the hand is not in a natural position. Number two, you can't relax. And number three, it induces torque. So, a simple change like keeping your palm rotated down, whether you're using a wrist release or a hand release, will help you greatly. But as I said, the hand has to be in line with the front hand. Now, going back to the front hand for a second, remember what I said, don't give it the Vulcan death grip? You're just pushing against it. Your thumb should be pointed at the target, relaxed, open. Don't abnormally open it on, pur on purpose but just open, point it at the target, relax. That leads to the rear hand, straight line. Now that comes into line. And now we follow that line from your rear hand to your elbow. And this is where I'm going to say 95% of people that I work with and that I see, that I see doing things at the range improperly have their issue. They have their issue with their rear elbow. This 
most of the time, is no fault of their own. It is the fault of the person who sold them the bow. And if the person who sold them the bow was in a big box store, it's not really their fault because they really don't have the training experience to help you. Their job is to sell a bow, get you out the door, and that's it. They do their best most of the time to sell you something that's appropriately sized for you. But when it comes to the fine setup of it and the little things, that unless you say something they wouldn't know about, that's what you're going to get, especially if you order a bow from online. I had a, had a guy I'm working with yesterday. He... He's retired. He wants to get into archery. No problem. He ordered the bow and he got it. And when I saw him draw it back for the first time yesterday, this bow was about five inches too short for him. So his elbow looked like a chicken wing in the back. And he's like, it feels weird. I'm like, yeah, because it's about five inches too short. And I'm going to be adjusting his bow and he'll have a much better experience because of that. But going on, if the elbow is not in proper alignment, it causes an issue. Now, like I said, 95% of the people I work with at first have this problem. And what, what causes the problem? Improper draw length. If your draw length is too short, your rear shoulder and your rear elbow are going to be way out of line. You'll wind up, if you're a right-handed shooter, you'll wind up shooting a lot of, shoot, a lot of shots to the left. On the other side of that, if your draw length is too long, then your elbow will be way past in back of your front hand and you're going to wind up shooting all your shots to the right. So where should your elbow be? With proper form, your elbow should be directly in back of your hand forming a straight line to your front hand. If it is not, there is something wrong. Sometimes it's only off by a little bit. And that's because the D-loop that was put on was too short. Yes, D-loops can be different lengths. But let me reiterate this. D-loops do not change your draw length. What they do is they allow the pivot point of your elbow in the back to fit more comfortably. That does in no way mean that I can take a guy with a 31-inch draw, stick him on a 28-inch bow, and put a 4-inch D-loop to make up the difference. doesn't work. You're only using that to allow you to adjust the position of your rear bow. I shoot different length bows, like I can shoot a 33-inch, I can shoot a 35-inch bow. The draw length on them, for me, is 29, so they're both exactly the same, as long as the string angle is the same. However, my D-loop lengths, the D-loop on the 33 is a little bit longer than it is on the 35. That's just how it is, because it has to be tweaked to your personal preference and once you know what that is you'll know the feel right away because the bow feels completely different so establishing that the draw length has now been corrected enough to get your elbow all the way back in a straight line you're in business also some people you'll find that their elbows all the way up sky high in the air it can be slightly elevated but cannot be jack up high because guess what if it's all the way high in the air you just you're basically taking a part of the machine and disjointing it up there so you can't pull into your shoulder blade just go ahead and stand stand straight up fold your arm around so your elbow sticking up in the back and lift it up high now try to pull that into your rear into your towards your spine try to pull that shoulder blade into your spine it's almost impossible now at the same time lower it to level 
and try to pull into your spine. It's so much easier. Go too low, again, you're in the same problem. So it can't be low, it can't be high. It has to be in a straight line, slightly elevated if anything. We try not to go too elevated because then it'll cause shots to go down all the time. So now your elbow is in alignment, the hands are in alignment. That allows you to, to anchor and go to proper form. Now, as I said, your front arm is all bone-on-bone contact, and that is allowing you to use it as a lever in the front. But the back, that's not the case because there's no bone-on-bone contact. And when you're pulling, if you're not pulling in a circle, trying to pull your shoulder in towards your spine, I see a lot of people pulling straight back. Not their fault because whoever taught them how to shoot is telling them, just keep pulling straight back. Okay. Pulling straight back is an abnormal movement because when it defeats the purpose of back tension in the first place, it's not a regular movement because you will hurt yourself this way, yet I hear it all the time. Oh, coach just told me to pull it straight back. Okay, either your coach doesn't know what he's doing or he's he's describing it improperly, which I find is most cases. If you, tr- if you just put your elbow up, you know, standing up straight, put your elbow up, looking towards forward, try to pull your elbow straight back. I think you'll find it doesn't work. If I took a rope and strapped it around your elbow and pulled straight back, I could probably pull it out of the socket. That's not something you want to do. It causes rotator cuff problems, just like in when you're drawing. So your elbow, while it's pointed straight back, your tension is going in a circle because you're pulling your spot, your shoulder blade, towards your spine because you're using that big huge back muscle that you have back there and you're pulling that way so it's a circular motion so it may look like it's going backwards but it's actually swinging around and that's how you should be pulling with your with your back muscles if you try to pull that elbow straight back one it's not going to go very far two it's not going to provide adequate tension and three you're probably going to hurt yourself so we try not to do that and the other thing that will improve your shooting, and you ha- a lot of people don't teach this, I teach it. Alexander Kirilov, who is the instructor at the PSE factory, will tell you if the forearm is not relaxed, you're going to have a bad day. A tense forearm, a tense hand, they all do the same thing. They ruin your shot. Remember, if you're using a wrist strap or if you're using a release that's handheld, A lot of people worry about the release flying out of their hand. If you have that fear, most releases have a small hole in the back of it that you can tie a lanyard to, put it around your wrist. It gives you that extra safety measure in case that's what you're worried about. And for some people, when they first start out, I put the lanyard on. But if you relax your arm, that doesn't mean relax your fingers. Your your hand is relaxed. It has to be relaxed with the palm down. The natural hook of your fingers, because you're holding it in that knuckle, is going to allow it to stay there. The release will not move. In a wrist strap release, same thing. Just pulling it back to your arm, the wrist strap is holding it onto your wrist. It's not going to go anywhere. You have to relax your forearm. If you don't relax your forearm, it's going to encourage and it's going to cause directional influence. You don't want that. So relax the forearm and just think of it like this. All you're doing is you're pulling your hand back with your shoulder muscles, like a ship chain that's tightening. And the chain goes through your arm, around your elbow, and is already tied into your back, to your spine. And someone's just pulling on that chain. 
when they pull on that chain, it causes your elbow to come back and rotate and go around and the back muscles are contracting and it's pulling your shoulder blade into your spine. Just think of it like a chain like that or a rope being attached to that. The rope is running from your hand, through your arm, through your elbow, around your rear arm, going towards your spine and you're just pulling that back like that. That's the best way to describe that motion. Once you start tightening that chain, if your forearm is tense, it fights the chain. The action cannot complete normally. And that's not what you want. So again, alignment, front hand, rear hand, elbow. This, com- this completes the part of the machine. And again, I believe I may have mentioned this before. It has to do with how you're aiming now. If you move your front hand to do the aiming, to move it around, that's a problem because now you're taking everything out of alignment. When you're steering a sailboat that doesn't have a wheel, it's just got the rudder in the back, the rudder is what steers it. And how does it steer it? It steers it from behind. It provides the directional movement of the entire machine. So the machine's in front and the rudder's moving it. The same way when you're aiming, if you steer with anything other than your rear shoulder, where you're moving, letting your rear shoulder do the movements, starting from back there, not flexing the shoulder, you're just moving the entire shoulder with you from the back, and the front is just a lever staying there, I think you'll find your accuracy will improve greatly. So if you put these simple steps together, relaxed hand, proper positioning of the hands, thumb, relaxed, hand relaxed in the front, bone-on-bone contact, proper clearance in your stance, rear hand lined up directly behind the front, palm down, not vertical, elbow in alignment, proper draw length, pulling that ship chain around so that your elbow goes pulling and into your shoulder, which is being pulled into your spine, which is the essence of back tension, your shot is going to be way better. And this is a lesson that maybe takes 20 or 30 minutes to ingrain to someone. But once I show them the concept of how they should be pulling, something clicks and it goes off and they know that they got to get that feel. And if something is off in that whole process, let down. Again, if it doesn't feel right, something got kinked up in your shoulder or something like that, the shot just doesn't feel right. There's what we call the full draw moment, where that moment, you know, either A, I'm going to proceed with the shot, or B, I got to reset. If you're a hunter and you have a full draw moment and it's not right, you may have to wait for that animal to walk away from you where he puts his head down or goes behind something to let you get down and reset. I know people are going to say, well, that's crazy. I can't do that. I can't, I can't miss the shot, shot opportunity of a lifetime. Chances are, if the shot's not right and you fire it anyway, or as we call it, you just send it, you're going to miss anyway. So are you really losing anything? The only thing that you're gaining is the, is the fact that you may not wound an animal and you owe it ethically to that animal to do so. So if you reach that full draw moment, something's not right, reset. I've seen people with 10 seconds to go to fire the last shot in a tournament, reset. Why? The shot wasn't right. Rather than have something go wrong, they reset, they fire. 
It's much easier to do than you may think. But again, it takes practice. So we've gone over the alignment, tension required, that sort of thing. These little tips will help you get better form and the top part of your body doing what the machine is supposed to do. So now we're going to go into some listener questions that we have. Um, I find that going over listener questions now every every week when we do the podcast kind of helps a lot of people that didn't get a chance to uh, talk to me when we're at the range or, you know, are not getting personal instruction. So Gil R. writes, I listen to the podcast while I drive all the time. I love it a lot. Thank you. Uh, the problem I have is with my sight picture jumping all around. I just can't get to the pin to stop moving. I'm sure I'm doing something wrong. I had the guys at my local shop here in Missouri look at my form. So you're in Missouri. Okay. Look at my form and they say it's just fine. Okay. They say it's fine. Um, maybe you can point me in the right direction. Well, Gil, if your site picture is jumping all around, and I'm sure you're listening to this because I did reply to you telling me to listen to the next podcast. That's how I answer these questions. Here's the deal. Sight pictures jumping all the way around. Chances are your draw length is too short. Without even seeing you, that's the problem I usually have. Your draw length is too short. Your alignment is out of whack. And you're jumping all over because you're struggling to keep it straight. Now, you did mention that you went to your local shop where you got your bow from, and they told you everything's cool. It's not surprising. But... It's not uncommon either. A lot of the guys in the shops are just that. They're shop technicians. They're not coaches. Now, they should know how to measure you and fit you properly. But some guys just don't know. And it's not their fault. They weren't trained to do that. Especially if you go to a local big box store. Like I said, there is no malicious intent on the, on the behalf of the employees working at a big box store. If they do something wrong, unless it's blatantly wrong, and they don't fit you properly. Because they are given sometimes an hour of training saying, here, if someone comes in to buy a bow, measure them this way and guesstimate what their draw length should be and using the standard formula, this is what it is. And that's what they do. So it's not their fault. Same thing in a lot of pro shops. They may not know. They may be new or they just don't know. Shops sometimes exist just to sell the equipment. You know, they don't specialize in the service and the setup. But any shop that intends to stay around for a long time had better specialize in service and setup because that's where you get your repeat business from. And I see shops open and close all the time. And the one common denominator is they have bad service. So if the guys are telling you that everything is okay, my initial suggestion is go somewhere else. My better suggestion would be look up in the USA Archery database and find a local coach. We are all listed in the database, along with our contact numbers, unless they have it unlisted for some reason, in which case you can probably email them. Call them up. Say, listen, I need a lesson. And I'm having a problem with my form. I may be having problems with my equipment. Most coaches will know what's going on. Go down there. Whatever the lesson costs you, $40, $50, whatever it is. It's a one-time thing. If you just want to take one lesson, you may want to take more lessons. But a good coach, again, Coach is the word. Look for a level three or above. A good coach will be able to tell you if your draw length is off. 
And if you have an adjustable bow, it might just be two screws to adjust the cam where it's going, adjust the draw length, and you're good. If you have a set module bow, then you might have to go to the shop to get a different module if it can be changed. But at least the coach will be able to tell you if there's something wrong there. When your draw length is too short, you usually jump around the target too much. Conversely, when your draw length is too long, you won't jump around the target too much, but you will shoot one way or the other, usually far right, and you'll also find that it's hard to focus. So while it won't jump as much, it'll be hard to focus on the target. Um, it's more of a sweeping motion will go on, whereas when your draw length is, is too short, it's very jittery. It's like jumping all over the place because you're struggling to keep it in one place. So like I said, my advice, seek out a coach or go to another shop, have them look at you, and take it from there. If you have other questions other than that, send me a picture of what you look like at full draw uh, from the front, from the rear, um, both sides. This way I can get a good idea and I can probably tell you what's going on too. But it's always best to do this in person and get somebody who's knowledgeable and they will try to help you best as they can. Our next question comes from Tracy S. Hi, I listened to your last podcast and it helped me a lot. I moved my peep up and I can get out over 30 yards further than I did before. Last podcast, we talked about peep and peep positions. And I told people that if your peep is too low and you can't, your sight is bottoming out when you try to go out further distances, move the peep up. Looks like she went to a shop and had it moved up. And now she can get out a lot further, which is good. I see you at Willowbrook sometimes. She's local. Okay. Uh, never got a chance to talk to you directly, but I noticed when you shoot at targets at the other end of the range, like against the back fence, you shoot just as fast as when you shoot shorter distances. When I shoot 40 or 50 yards, if I can make it out there, that is, I always find I hold a lot longer. Is this just me or am I doing something wrong? It's not just you. I find a lot of people have this issue where because a target is at a further distance, they feel the need, and it's a natural one, to concentrate harder, to aim longer. Remember, you have a finite amount of time to draw before your shot starts to break down. And when people shoot further distances because they're scared subconsciously of losing that arrow or missing the target entirely, they, they think that it requires so much more effort. It shouldn't. And if it does, then you need to back it up and move out slower so it becomes more and more common. If you're just used to shooting 20 yards and you try to shoot 40, it's double your natural distance. Subconsciously, you're afraid of missing. So you're going to try to concentrate more and more. What you don't realize is that clock is running out when your form is going to break down. So by holding longer, you're contributing to a breakdown in form, which means you're going to be all over the place or you're going to miss or something like that. And what Tracy is describing is exactly true. So be very careful with that. That means bring it in closer, get more familiar until that timing stretches out. If you find yourself holding for like a minute or two while you're trying to aim at something that's 60 or 70 yards away, you're holding way too long. And our last question comes from Ray C. My son is nine and was getting lessons from a local coach. He's been taking lessons for the last eight months, and I haven't really seen any improvement in his shooting at all. They started him shooting at, at a target five feet away, which is common for first-timers, and then moved it up to five yards. Okay, so he's shooting 15 feet. But that's about it. He's shooting five yards, and it's been eight months. He's a nine-year-old. Okay, I'm starting to see a problem develop here. 
I would think he would be shooting better and further by now. Yeah. But he's all over the place. And again, I tell people that, that kids will progress at their own pace. But there, you can tell something's not right if you haven't seen that much progression. Um, but he's all over the place, and the coach doesn't really help at this point. Is there something I can do? He's really getting frustrated, which is common. Uh, and I don't want him to give it up. It's the one thing that keeps him away from the TV and video games. Myself, I don't shoot a bow. I've only shot rifles all my life, but I can't imagine it would be that much harder to learn. I asked the coach about his progress, and all he said is kids will be kids, which is okay, I guess. But at 50 an hour, am I wasting money? Any advice would be appreciated. The coach is charging you $50 an hour, and he says kids will be kids. Let's diagnose the problem. Get another coach. The guy has no clue what he's doing or doesn't care. Unless a kid is not learning or does not want to do something, and it sounds like he wants to do it, but he's getting frustrated. Increase in ability, if you don't see improvement, then you're doing something wrong or that they need area another area to be worked on. But just letting a kid shoot the same thing every single time at five yards and it's been eight months, either coach has no clue what he's doing, which I've seen a lot. I'd ask him for his credentials. I can almost guarantee he doesn't have any. Or he doesn't care and he's there just to pick up the money, which happens. So my suggestion, reach out to another coach. Also, if you want to work with him yourself, and I tell parents this all the time, watch what the coach is teaching, watch what he's doing, what he's doing, and don't just let that once or twice a week that you're going out there with a coach be the only time that your child is shooting. Go with them one other time a week or something like that where you're watching what they're doing. You're keeping it safe, of course. And I think sometimes you'll find that when a kid's not under pressure and if you find that he shoots better and can shoot further, it's a pressure problem and he's got an issue with the coach probably because maybe the guy's too too cold or doesn't care or he's afraid of you know, the coach saying something to him, you know, or berating him for something. And that's why I tell parents, if you're going to get a coach, keep an eye on what's going on. Some people don't have the mentality to deal with kids. They don't know how to talk to kids. Everyone is different. Doesn't make a difference. But again, different skill levels. People learn how to adapt over time. I'm doing this over 30 years working with people. So you need to know how it works. Bottom line, my suggestion, get another coach. Same thing I tell, told the last the last uh, listener. Look it up on USA Archery. Find another coach. I'd be curious to see if this guy is listed in there. Send me, send me an, uh, an email when you get a chance, and uh, we'll discuss further to find out uh, what we can do for you. So that'll do it for our listener questions. And now we're going to have a special, special section, and the reason why this post didn't come out yesterday is because I was working on some special effects. It didn't go south. Um, I'll have them ready for next time. Our special segment is called Don't Be That Guy. And Don't Be That Guy points out something that we should all look to avoid every time we're going out shooting. Here's my example of Don't Be That Guy for this week. When I'm out there and I'm shooting with, with my students, and say my 11-year-old girl that I'm, I'm working with, we place her target at 40 yards just to start out for the day. 
And then the guy comes walking into the range and he'll place his target at 20 and realize that my girls are shooting at 40 and 50. And his machismo, his ego, whatever you want to call it, I call it flat out stupidity, leads him to say in his mind, I can't be seen shooting at just 20 yards. I got to put it out at least as far or as further than this little kid's target. Yeah, don't be that guy. Dude puts it out there at 40 yards when my girls are shooting 30 just so he can be equal or further than them because after all, they are little kids. Um, Dude, they're more mature than you, trust me. And has A, either never shot at 30 or 40 yards or B, doesn't have the skill level to shoot at 30 or 40 yards and proceeds to maybe touch the target once out of six arrows and the rest of the time when we call clear, is out there looking for his arrows. This is a prime example of don't be that guy. Your skill level will improve the more you challenge yourself. So if that means that you're shooting at five yards when you're first starting out and then incrementally increasing it, fine. But don't let trying to impress someone or trying not to look bad Because someone younger than you is shooting 40 yards, shooting twice what you're shooting. So now you have to do that. That is mental stupidity. Shoot within your known abilities. These are the same people that when they go out hunting, practiced 20 yards the whole whole year round, which is great. And an animal pops out at 41 and they try to take the shot because it's there. Oh, and they figure, oh, what the heck? And they wound an animal or they miss entirely. Again, the only person you should be concerned about when you're shooting is you. Your progression must be at your own pace. If you have no interest at progressing to shooting further, no problem. Again, you're not there shooting for an audience. You're there shooting for you, or at least that's the way it should be. So what do you care what else someone is shooting there? If you want to go ahead and put your target out at 60 when I'm shooting at 80, go for it. I don't like waiting for you to look for your arrows because you won't touch it. That's the kind of problem I'm talking about. It boils down to this, and this is my philosophy on the whole thing. It's a little weird. Some people say it's too philosophical, but whatever, and I'll throw it at you anyway. Inside, every person is an archer. They're just trying to get out. So think of it as though when I'm coaching someone, I'm a sculptor, And they're just a big block of rock. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to chisel out that archer. I look at it as though I'm trying to release the archer that's already in the rock. I'm not trying to make the archer because I can't force someone to do things in a special way. I'm trying to release the archers within them and free them to be what they really are. The same way as your skills improve, you should look at it as just uncovering all the layers out there until you get them off and you arrive at perfection of what you want it to be. And if that perfection means you're only going to shoot at 20 yards because that's your only goal, great. But again, don't be that guy who wants to shoot to impress or doesn't want to get embarrassed or something like that. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. And in the end, you'll make us all happier because we don't have to spend all these endless hours if we told it all together of waiting for you to go find your arrows. So that ends today's rant. 
I hope that the information was helpful to you. Um, as always, if you have any questions, email us at highpowerarchery at gmail.com. Be sure to go to our website, highpowerarchery.com. Leave us, leave us a message there. Of course, if you want to keep up to date on the latest releases on our podcast, be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. It's absolutely free. It'll let you know when a new podcast is available. So as always, what we always say, it's never goodbye. It's until we see you next time. So till then, stay safe and shoot straight.